This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. If you've listened to the show for a while, you might remember that we had Taylor Janka from Downhole Well Solutions on a few years ago. Taylor joined us again to kind of show off his scars from 2020. We know it was rough for everybody. We dove into how they weathered the storm as an OFS company and what's next for DWS. If you haven't already, go check out our newsletter, The Roundup. Every single week, we're sitting out uh, a little bit of a synopsis of what's going on in the oil and gas space, what's going on in the energy space as a whole, whole bunch of good memes. Go check it out. Send that out to about 4,000 people every single week. You don't want to miss it. Just go to our website, sign up for The Roundup. Let's get right into the episode. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Taylor Janka, Downhole Well Solutions, joins us again. We were just talking, we had you on the podcast back in, what'd y'all say, like, in the 2019? Yeah, November 19th, yeah, about a year 2019. That seems like a lifetime ago. It does. It's funny because- That's five years in 2020 terms. In between, <laughs> in between now and then, so we used to be right down the hall in our little closet office, where that was where we first started the podcast, and then we went downtown, and now, now you're back. Now this is this is a little bit bigger yeah, he walked than last in, time. He said, hey, weren't y'all- over there last time. <laughs> yeah. We had a little yeah. closet we upgraded. No, it looks great. <laughs> Appreciate the opportunity to be back. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who uh, you know hadn't listened to the last episode, really quickly, kind of high level, what do you guys do at Downhole Well Solutions? Yeah, so we manufacture and rent out some downhole rental tools and um, main tool that we started with and, and still have is a friction reduction tool, um, a downhole vibratory tool that um, helps operators drill faster. Yeah, so jog my memory on this because I remember we had a great conversation about it, um, and my memory is not always the best. So I remember we we talked about um, being able to transfer the power from the motor to the bit. Was that correct? That's right. That's, that's right. Because you came from the jar side, or yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been all over, you know, drilling and completions, downhole tools, and so I was. I think I made like the analogy that essentially. You know, it, when you have a car, you know, you have the motor and then you have the drivetrain, but not all the power is always, uh, you know, transferred to the rear rear well wheels. Gosh, I can't talk. And so I kind of mm -hmm. compared it to what y'all's tool does, essentially. Yeah, that's right. So what, what it does is it just keeps that uh, drill pipe as these um, longer lateral wells are drilled. It keeps it from just being static there on the bottom of the well bore. And so it's helping keeping this pipe moving, better bid engagement, um, and ultimately faster ROP sliding or rotating. So let's do this. You know, if you want to learn more about the tool, go back and I think it was episode fifty-two. With or, I mean, or just search Taylor Junk at Downhole yeah, Solutions. Yeah, you You'll go find on our it. website. You search Taylor's <laughs> name. And you find it. And you hear more because we, we dove in deep onto the tool. What I want to talk about today is kind of the progression and the, you know, battling 2020 as a service company. I mean, hey, 2021, I've been a whole lot better. It's these, getting these, better. These, I mean, these the are, prices these, are getting better. These are war stories, you know, so I want to talk about this a bit and kind of talk about the journey as an entrepreneur. Because if I remember last time you were on the show, you know, you were telling us about, you guys kind of did this analysis to decide, you know, what business you should attack or pursue and you guys came upon this and you're like okay you know we should we should do that and you know right before we got on the mics here you know we we're talking about how it was all high fives back then that's right yeah we're starting a business yeah. and doing it and then oh, march no. 2020 comes and you know negative oil prices in april and 
world's fallen down. So, man, let's talk about, you know, jog my memory a bit on where you guys were in November of 2019 when we left off. And then let's talk about what happened subsequent months after that into negative oil prices. Sure. So, um, so yeah, we, we started the company in March of 2019. Um, the first tool and the tools called, we call it power glide. It went in the hole kind of end of June, beginning of July, 2019. And then, um, got the opportunity to come on, on digital wildcatters and, you know, we were trying to get the brand out there and, um, you know, just start trying to grow the business. And so from November to um, basically February, the tool started doing really good. We were getting work, you know, rig count was still, still up there, 750, 800 or so. And um, we were, we were running on about 16 rigs and really for kind of four or five operators, you know, that, that had, you know, three rig programs, four or five, um, got an opportunity to, to, to put a tool on the ground for them and it did really well. And so they're like, Hey, can you handle the other, you know, two, three, four rigs that we have? And so our customer base was pretty small, but for us, you know, we were, we were very, very happy with how the tool was doing and, um, and looking forward to things. And like we were talking about here before the show, my, my brother's, uh, my partner, and then have one more also. And we were, you know, we weren't running around high-fiving, but it's like, hey, you know, you took the risk to to start the company. Um, the tool's doing well. Uh, it's, uh, you know, starting to have a good name behind it and all that stuff. And then uh, it's like, hey, this was worth, you know, taking the risk to go do. And then March comes, you know. And, and so bottom we falls went, out, man. Oh, man, we went from 16 rigs to two in about 45 days. And um, you're just sitting here going – man, like, how do we even survive this thing? And so it, um, it was tough because, you know, we were growing and needed more people to help build tools. Um, so you starting to build your, your infrastructure, you know, with your team and all that stuff. And unfortunately we had furloughs and we, we just, we were forced to take it back to, um, basically just the bare bones, you know, to, ride out we were like hey this is how much money we have here's kind of how long we can go without any revenue and don't know when it's going to come back and it was super super tough because those guys that, that we had brought on board you know um man they did everything you know like it, it and it was just brutal because you're like you know that there's not a whole lot out there at the time and so um, a lot of sleepless nights, you know, just mm -hmm. because you're, you're, uh, you're feeling bad what happened, but at the same time, it's like, man, it doesn't do anybody any good if the company, you know, goes out of business. So, yeah. um, some super tough, tough choices. Um, I, I do think we did a really good job of being honest with them. Like we didn't try to fake like, mm -hmm. oh, everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. You know, as things started to unravel, we were, we were having weekly meetings, just like, listen, here's where we're at. <laughs> this is what the market is. And we don't know, um, and we'll give you as much heads up as we can if something needs to happen. And so as tough as it was, I think we did a really good job of like being transparent of, you know, how tough it was and like where we were at as a, as a company and just, Hey, here's, here's the way it is. And, um, as, it, it, as tough as it was, I think we had people, you know, say, Hey, I really appreciate y'all just you know, mm -hmm. being honest about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, talk about something that rips your heart out. I mean, one of the biggest joys of being a founder and entrepreneur is when you get to that point where you're growing and you're building a team and you're filling the organization with great people. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it's nothing that you guys did, right? I mean, you're talking about yeah. 
market dynamics that completely change and all of a sudden you know you go from 16 rigs to two and the growth just isn't there mm -hmm. in terms of the market and so uh, i remember the founder of airbnb put out a uh, really good post and it was right after covid had started hitting and airbnb had to have layoffs and i mean it was a pretty heartfelt post just talking about how much it killed them to have to lay off employees and I think oil and gas is really, you know, oil and gas is notorious for layoffs, right? Especially mm -hmm. over the last, uh, you know, five, six years. And I think that the industry really struggles with layoffs and doing it with empathy and a compassionate way. You know, you look at EMPs when they lay off people or large OFS. I mean, it's just numbers, um, right? And, surprise. Yeah. 600 gone, 800 yeah. gone, yeah. 1200 Stay gone. in your office. Yeah. Send HR down. I mean, I knew, I know if yeah. I was an employee and I was getting laid <clears> off, <throat> I would appreciate if my employer was transparent and honest about it. And mm -hmm. it's like, hey, give us as much of a, keep us in the loop. Like, what can we expect? You know, I don't want to, you know, just come in the office one day and be laid off. Like, at least try to give me like two weeks sure. notice so I can sure. start planning. So, you know, I think that that's a good sign of leadership and, honestly just something that the industry needs more of because you don't see a whole lot of that out there amongst the bigger companies yeah yeah no appreciate that and uh as tough as it was i i think we did the the right thing you know yeah um yeah and i mean that's you know that's why i wanted to talk about these things because it's never the stories that you hear about entrepreneurship right you know you go back it's always about the high fives and oh we're you know growing and making money and you never hear the stories about oh well you got to lay off half the team yeah um, and, the successes are just the highlight reels yeah you know? yeah so that's um you know definitely unfortunate but you know you guys go from 16 rigs to two and the emotional toll the roller coaster i bet you know of scaling up to 16 rigs starting to get a brand you know name for itself and then all of a sudden you're only on two rigs how did you guys knuckle down and, you know, really hunker down? And how long was that? Pro how long was that process? You know, <clears throat> was it five, six months before things really kind of started stabilizing and you were able to start picking up some more rigs? Yeah. So the, I don't remember, I guess necessarily maybe where the turning point was, but because the rig count dropped so quick and so hard so yeah you know maybe a maybe a couple of months and and what we did was look at the the market and the in the rig count and saw that you know, i don't remember the exact but you know it got down to roughly 200 rigs or so mm -hmm. and um just over but the majority of the rigs were still and the rigs that were left majority of them were still in west texas i mean you had some everywhere but the bulk of that let's just call it 200 Riggs was in West Texas. And so, um, from, from my previous, uh, sales on the directional business, um, you know, Midland is really unique in that it, it, um, I couldn't just go out there and say, Hey, I'm going to spend every week going out there and, and call on people. It's a very, uh, unique network out there. And so what we did was there was a, there was a guy who worked with me, um, in the directional business before, and I knew he had a really good reputation, out there. And so we talked to him and just kind of said, Hey, here's what we're trying to do. He had, he had followed the company and was familiar with us and, and he was actually ready to, to make a change also. Um, and so he came on board with us and that was really kind of our, our shot in the arm, um, to get back going through some of his contacts and rigs that were still running, um, got an opportunity. The tool did what it did, you know, before, 
and it was with an operator who still had, you know, five, six rigs running. And so we were able to get all those and kind of the, the reputation of the tool, I think, started spreading out there also. And so we were able to start picking off some rigs out there in, in West Texas from, um, you know, just what was available. And then, you know, not jumping too far ahead, but fast forwarding now, um, some of those operators have continued to pick up a few rigs. We've also got some, you know, existing customers that we were working for before the downturn that is that have picked back up and they were happy with the tool um, back then. So I don't remember exactly how um, there wasn't like a date, you know, or whatever, but it was just like, okay, this is a good time to, um, if this is where the rigs are, being honest, especially with me, I mean, I, I was the only sales guy um, originally and just saying, hey, I, I can't, I can't go pick up this work. I mean, it's just not, it, so I think being honest about what we needed to do and then taking the chance while no revenues coming in about hiring a guy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so it was a whole new, new set of, that's uh, always a fun uh, leap of faith to take, right? Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, Hey, let's just, you know, it was me being super honest with myself going, you can't do this. So, um, yeah. I think it's hard to do. I think it's, it's sometimes it's hard to just kind of set that ego aside. You know what I mean? It was uh, the thing that helped was, was I knew this guy kind of similar was on the podcast before and talking about the, the risk of of starting DWS, you know, our partner who designed and built the tool. It's kind of similar, you know, there wasn't a, um, we had confidence that he could do it. Mm -hmm. So same thing with this sales guy in West Texas. I knew what his capabilities were. So it was just more, you know, going, like you said, Hey, I can't do this. We need some help. And this is our best shot and mm-hmm. it, um, starting to turn the corner. So, uh, and it's turned out to be, you know, good decision. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, leap of faith when, you know, you set the, set the ego aside, like, you know, that's hard enough, but when revenues dropped and you're like, okay, we can take a bet and spend our last bit of money on bringing someone on board. But if, it pays off. Then you start picking up rigs and it sounded like it paid off for you guys. It did. Um, it did. So thankful he took the chance, you know, to give us a, a shot and come on board and, and we're thankful we, we, uh, you know, kind of had the guts to, to make that move. So. Yeah. So what did the, um, you know, market dynamic look like for you guys in those tough times? Cause I think that there's, um, several competitors that have, you know, similar type tools and, you know, NOV and those types and OFS, I mean, is famous for just a race to the bottom on pricing, right? Mm -hmm. When, um, things get tough and I mean, things have been tough for OFS for (laughs) the better part of the decade, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. So if you're dealing with some of these bigger players and they just start, you know, going to a marginal cost basis and cutting their pricing down, that's another thing that you have to, to fight against, right? Because I mean, you guys need to be able to have enough of a margin in there to where your business is sustainable. So, you know, is that something that you guys had to compete against as well? Um, you know, pricing wars on the tool. Um, how did, how did you guys deal with that? Yeah. And so, um, answer your question. Yes, we did. And and currently still do, um, battle that in terms of, of pricing. So it's probably a never ending battle in, in that sector. I'm sure it sure feels like it. Uh, <laughs> um, you feel like it's, it's gone far enough and then it, and then it goes more. So what we did was, um, and I'd mentioned on the podcast before, you know, our, our whole deal, having confidence that Avi could build a good tool was, um, 
like superior quality on the tool and then you know superior customer service was like our our two big uh points and and we did meet whenever things got tough and said hey we still we're not going to waver from those so no matter how uh tough things get we're not going to cut corners by by rerunning stators or 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 building tools with components that are out of spec and and all that and so that's really what we sold on uh during the you know the downturn or when things got really bad is we weren't cutting corners and we put some skin in the game too you know they're our competitors um were dropping prices then and and we basically told told our customers that listen we can only do it this is as low as we can go and still make money but the quality that you're going to get from from us you know it's not going to be something you're worried about uh tripping for yeah um and 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 we put some skin in the game too we said not only the quality side but just listen we'll do a run for free you know stack us up against the competition let's see what the tool does and and if their tool does just as good um you know or better than hey we'll no build a job you have you got a free run you know out of the tool but if it does here's what we get to charge Mm -hmm. and this is how we can still make money and still give y'all a good good product and that that seemed to work um but even even currently, so so now we're very fortunate to have um, picked back up work, um, not only take market share, but obviously as the rig counts going up, we've been able to to be a part of that that too. But from a pricing standpoint, um, kind of what what you said, you know, you thought it was over, and that's it. And we've got um, probably our largest competitor right now trying to drop rates another forty percent, you know, Jeez. to get back in the door. Um, from some of the work that we've been able to, um, you know, to take. And it's kind of circling back to that same deal that we were just talking about, you know. For those of you that haven't heard of Petrovisor platform from Datagration yet, well, you're in luck because I just so happen to be the sponsor of the Will and Guest Service podcast. So Petrovisor is a knowledge automation platform for EMP companies, production and operations data. If you're watching this on video, I know you can see the screen share. They're walking us through a demo here. Super, super slick. So what does it do? It removes existing data silos to automate the flow of data and knowledge across the EMP value chain. So what is that? So doing this creates knowledge automation for everyday work while enabling scalability, speed of deployment, and data transparency throughout the organization. Customers use Petrovisor to make the best use of their data, preparing themselves and their organizations for a generational evolution of technology. Where the platform operators have seen an increase in operating netbacks, having lower lifting costs by 10 20% through advanced problem detection and lift optimization. In addition, operators can reduce data management costs by 80 to 90%. That is no joke, while increasing data utilization with Petrovisor. These guys make it super simple. Petrovisor can be implemented in a matter of weeks, not months, saving hundreds of thousands of dollars for the operator, if not millions. Head over to datagration.com to learn more. I think people, I mean, if I'm an engineer, I'm a drilling engineer and I'm looking, you know, I'm working on making up my tool assembly. One, I care about quality, mm-hmm. care about customer service relationships and price is obviously a factor, but if price is cut at the expense of quality or I'm working with a bigger OFS supplier that I'm not going to be able to get on the phone and, you know, get answers when I have to trip it out or I'm having issues with the tool. I mean, that matters. And 
I've always laughed at the oil and gas industry because, you know, you have these multi-million dollar projects that are awarded to the lowest bidder. And I come from OFS, right? And I would just laugh at it, you know, laugh at any time if wireline went down and the company man starts bitching about it. And I'm like, look, man, like y'all take the cheapest bidder and then expect these OFS companies to be able to maintain their equipment and have the best quality equipment and the best quality talent. Like that costs money. Sure. And so, yeah, if you want the best hands and the best tools and the best experience out here on location, there's a little bit of a premium to that because that's what an OFS needs to be able to have a sustainable business. And I think that, you know, EMPs have really kind of been subsidized by cheap pricing in OFS over the last decade. And I think that there's a lot of engineers that understand that dynamic. And if you can explain that value proposition, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It, uh, and we we get it, you know they the operators gotta they gotta make money, and so they gotta drill um wells as efficiently as they can, and you know that involves cost, and we understand that you know in the same time um uh, if we want to put out a quality product, you know it's the same thing too, and so mm-hmm. there's only so much um to budge and still stay in business, you know it doesn't yeah. matter uh what workload you you have and and we're we're feeling it already right now, we're getting words from our raw material, you know, providers that we, um, that we purchase from to, to put the tool together. They're saying, Hey, carbide's going up by 20 to 25%. Raw steel. Right I mean, now, man. It's happening. Wow. And so, we're, so we haven't got to talk about this on the podcast yeah. yet, but I mean, you see this in lumber, you see it in raw materials. Like dude, I was shopping for a couch the other day. You cannot find a couch in Houston at any of the stores. The only place where you can get a couch where I ended up buying was from Mattress Mac at Gallery Furniture, Gallery Furniture because all of their stuff is American-made. But you start talking to them, and the price of raw materials are just skyrocketing due to you know just how much liquidity is in the market. And so I haven't put out any content about how this is affecting EMPs or OFS, but this is the first time I've had someone talk about it that you're oh, seeing raw material prices go up. You're right. I mean, it's it's happening and it's coming more. You know, if you listen to operators, the the cost of casing is just through the roof. Um, you know, it's it's tough for them to even um, project AFEs on stuff because of what it's doing, and it's coming on our end, and we're doing the best job that we can um, to try to not raise our cost as as quick as we probably need to, mm-hmm. whether it be working with the vendors and saying, hey, what if we guarantee this much workflow? Uh, or what if we pay you faster or whatever? Are there things that we can do to try to to still be competitive and turn out the the good product? Because there's a lot of things that we could do to um to make it cheaper, you know, but it's it's not going to be better. Um yeah. and so is quality is only going to degrade that's if right. you cut corners, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a real deal. Like, Man, what yeah, a mean, tough dynamic. Like, you know, if you have larger competitors that are, you know, cutting prices by 40% and then simultaneously you're dealing with inflation on raw materials, which is increasing your marginal cost to produce the tool. I mean, that's the, the life of the oil field is just tough. It's <laughs> tough. And then you look at the operator side, I mean, you brought a perfect, it's like, man, cost of casings going up and, you know, EMPs already have a hard enough time being profitable in the first place. And yeah. so just, man, it's just crazy. It's the getting squeezed at, yeah. at, uh, at both ends. And we, and we just had to, we've always tried to be really transparent and honest, whether it's our vendors, customers or whatever, and just having the conversation, especially with the customers on 
on price um, with these operators that explaining to them, being transparent on, listen, here's why we think our tool's better. Here's why you haven't had issues with us. And, you know, why did we even get the opportunity in the, in the first place, you know, because mm-hmm. we're a startup. Um, the tool, even though we had some success before March hit, you know, we're still, I mean, just a, a blip on the radar. Um, and so why did we get the opportunity? And it was because who they were currently using was having quality issues. And so <laughs> we haven't, we haven't had that same, uh, you know, quality issues happen with them. And, it, and so you're kind of just trying to talk with them and go, listen, saving a couple of thousand dollars, a, a tool, I'm not sure how are they going to produce a better tool than what they were before at a lower rate, you know? And so you're just kind of going back and saying, listen, you know, I understand prices is price and that, that comes into the equation, but, um, you know, just remember the quality of product that we've been, you know, delivering for X amount of time. Yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of quantifying that value, right? Because if you look at it on surface value, it's like, Oh, well, this company, company X is coming down on their price by 40% and that's going to save us on our uh, DNC cost. But then if you really peel back the layers of the onion, you're like, oh, well, that tool has a failure rate of this and you have to, you know, make two extra trips per pad. That, What's that cost? That's you? right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, yeah, we, we try to have those conversations and, um, you know, just be honest with them about our business model and like any, but just like them, they've got to make money and we do uh, also, uh, especially to keep turning out a, a quality product. Yeah, absolutely. I wish there was like an Amazon reviews for like Wolffield services and, and like tools and stuff. I just feel like you have to like work with enough vendors to really know like who to use, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even like knowing who to use. It's that, that there's discrepancies in the in the tool itself, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So it's like, you know, if DWS's tool is just overall superior than competitor X, Y, or Z, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying is like the Willfield always thinks about tools on a price or on a cost basis and needs to be quality and reliability and performance and things of that nature. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, you take drill bits, for instance, like, you know, drill bits look like they could be commoditized, but if you have a drill bit, I remember back in like, you know, when I was roughnecking 2010, 2011, I mean, it was like every well we're switching out and trying new drill bits because there was always someone that had a bigger and better bit and, you know, promising the world. That's right. It was really like, the boom of PDC bits. <laughs> and, um, so, I mean, the, it's nothing new with tools, but it's just something like, it's a tough, tough game. Right. But like my thinking is like, dude, if you can survive 2020, then, you know, you can, it's only I, up from there. <laughs> I, I'm really happy we survived it. And I hope crossed. we don't have to uh, <laughs> go through 2.0, you know, yeah. uh, man, it was, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride, but, um, I will say, I, I don't want to go through it again, but the the downturn or, or getting the brake slammed that hard that quick, it was kind of a chance for us to look at that first, not quite a year, basically, though, and look back and go, hey, what did we do right? Um, what are some things that we could do different, you know? And so we did. We made some changes as far as how we do things, kind of the structure of what we thought we would need as far as personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some good things out of it, just hopefully uh, – we don't have to uh, <laughs> be back on here in a year's time and go, man, that second time we really found out some, uh, you know, some different, different things. So yeah. there were some good things that came of it though, too. Yeah. I think the best businesses are built in downturns, any industry, 
And I think that it's especially true for this one. I mean, do you have any regrets on the timing of, you know, when you guys started the company? And I mean, obviously you could have known what was going to happen after you started it, but if you could go back and do anything over again, would you, or do you think that you learned a lot of solid lessons through the downturn that you're able to carry you over into the company moving into the future? Yeah. I, I mean, no, that's a tough yeah, loaded question. I, but. I, I really wouldn't um, change anything. I think we can be proud that we knew we had a good recipe, you know, from basically all the way up until, you know, end of February, beginning of March, things were, were working the way that we were building tools, the way we were doing the customer service. And so I guess we felt like, okay, there, there's some things that we're doing right here. Um, and so it was more just going, okay, we know, we know we're onto something here. Let's just figure out a way to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it does come back, then we felt like we'd be in a good spot to, so I, I really wouldn't, um, change anything other than just not having to, to go through it. Um, but I think we did a really good job of, uh, between Chandler, Avi and myself, not panicking, visiting, kind of mapping out whatever scenarios we thought could happen. Having um, a plan. Yeah, I think we did a really good job of doing that and just sitting down together. And when we made a decision, it was kind of like, hey, does everybody agree? And and if we're going to do it, then let's let's do it and and be on board with it. So I I really wouldn't. I'm I'm um as tough as it was. I'm I guess I'm proud of the way that we we kind of navigated our way through it. Yeah, what you said about. Hey, we know we're on to something. We just have to survive. I mean, we said that a million times at Digital Wildcat. It was like, like fucking cockroaches can't ever kill us. We just got to survive. <laughs> I have a feeling that a lot of startups have that, that yeah. same mantra and, yeah. and saying. But, um, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, people may listen to this. You know, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that want to go off and do their own thing. And some people, especially, you know, that's a Silicon Valley and failure is praised mm -hmm. and Hey, you're trying to build things failed. So what come over to a traditional industry like oil and gas failure isn't treated the same way. Right. And sure. so a lot of people are afraid to go out there and try something and fail. Like, Oh, well, what if I try to start a downhole tool company and, you know, goes to the breakout gets decimated. Who cares? Oh, well, you like tried. You tried. Yeah. And you learned something. I don't know how you think, but the way I think is like, I wouldn't be able to live my life with that regret knowing that I didn't try at least. Yeah. So I don't know how you think about that. No. Um, yeah, it is. You know, I guess everybody always talks about, you know, the hardest thing about it is just taking the step <laughs> to do it and know that you're going to be falling for a little bit and hope you can figure out, you know, how to get the wings out. Um, but yeah, I, I think just taking that that leap of of going to do it is probably the hardest part. The thing that is uh, it, this may not be entirely fair to say, but what was different um, for me personally and and my brother was we didn't have like private equity funding, mm -hmm. you know, to where uh, not that you not that somebody would just say, oh, it's not our money anyways. We gave it a shot type deal. Yeah. But the deal to where we didn't have that and it was ours, you know, you're sitting here going, okay, the market is what it is. It falls flat on its face. Um, but literally we put every single nickel we had into to starting it's your it. your life. 
And so you're, you're sitting there going, okay, there's a little bit more, you know, added pressure to do that. And while well, I say that funny story, um, real quick. So when did you, when was that April when oil went yeah, April negative 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the actually yesterday was the one day or one year anniversary. Okay. So we were sitting there, you know, and that day it's, it's kind of like weird. You're just sitting there watching it. I mean, it's dropping, dropping, dropping. All of a sudden it gets to zero and then it goes negative and can't. And I remember going home, um, and we're, we're of course trying to navigate through this thing anyways, you know, it didn't necessarily have to do with oil going negative. It was already, you know, the market was hitting the brakes. Uh, but I get home and, um, I pull up in the driveway and my wife's outside with our kids and they're playing and I get out of the truck and, uh, and she comes up to me and just gives me this huge, you know, hug or whatever. And she's like, you know, are we going to have to sell the house? Cause all she had been hearing on the news was, you know, oil going low. And I said, no. And then I kind of walked off and I said, not today, at least, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, so anyways, there was, but it was, it was really, um, Weird, you know, it, it feels like one of those deals. If you, if you listen to story from like your grandpa or whatever, you know, and he's saying, you know, telling some old stories or whatever. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, one day I'm going to be sitting there, hopefully telling my grandkids, you know, one day, you know, back in April of 2020, oil was negative, uh, you know, $36 a barrel. And uh, they'll probably look at me like, you know, this crazy old man doesn't even know what he's, what he's talking <laughs> about, but it was definitely a, um, a crazy time. In no, history, man. It's like, sure. <laughs> it's like traumatic events. Like everyone remembers where they were on nine 11. Yep. If you're an oil and gas, like you remember that day oil went negative. I remember exactly where I remember mm -hmm. exactly where I was standing, what I was, who I was talking to when oil went negative. And I think a lot of us have, you know, PTSD from That's that, right. you know, but like you knew that day, like this is a story that we tell our grandkids about because it was traumatic for yeah. the industry. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people outside of the industry know, but I mean, it felt like the world was falling down. Right. And I mean, not just that day, but you know, the weeks leading up to it. I mean, mm -hmm. every Monday when the mar markets open, oil was just getting, you know, just it was cratering. And so that was, you know, I think that there's probably a million stories just like that one where, <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember, laying in bed just like I'm not a person that deals with anxiety a lot and I was laying in bed just a knot in my stomach because I just felt for everyone in the industry you know just the level of uncertainty was sure. you know just something that hopefully we don't have to deal with again but it is the oil industry and it happens you know every 20 years like clockwork so um booms and busts yeah booms and busts yeah. that's why we got grit in this industry <laughs> that's so. right that's right <laughs> so man you know looking forward before we wrap this up, you know, I think you guys only have one direction to go from April 2020 and it sounds like you guys are picking up rigs and you know, what's the, what's the plan forward for you guys for the rest of 2021? How are things looking out in the Permian? Um, you know, are you guys getting any traction in any other plays? Um, you know, is the blocking, um, looking, looking up or, you know, Marcellus, why don't you give us kind of like the, the forward outlook over the next six to 12 months for you guys? Okay, sure. Um, so the bulk of our work is in West Texas. Um, we've got work in South Texas, kind of a new area that we're starting to see some activity in picking up is in the Haynesville. Okay. Um, and historically the, these friction reduction tools haven't been, you know, those wells can, get, they do, they get really hot. And so, our tool has basically a smaller version of a motor as far as a power section, a rotor and a stator. And so anything that you put 
uh, down home uh, in those temperatures is a chance to cause you to, to trip, right? If the tool fails. Um, and we've got a, a product that so far has held up and it seems like it's gaining a little uh, traction out there mm-hmm. as far as being able to hold up to to that environment, which we're excited about. Um, yeah. That's one area that we're growing. We've got some work in the Northeast. The, the Bakken, um, not so much. Uh, and even the, the Northeast work that we have, it's just a unique partnership with an operator that really values the tool. And, you know, at these lower rates and all that, you know, th- this, this tool is, is, um, is a pretty low percentage of an operator's AFE. Yeah. And so we're not able to go build service facilities and in the different basin. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. That's another, you know, huge component of scaling an operation is like, does it make sense for you to go outside of the Permian or only have a facility there in the Permian, focus on that instead of trying mm-hmm. to boil the ocean <clears throat> right. out to the other basins? So, yeah, and it, it's just, it's just not, you know, doable. We, yeah. We've looked at some partnerships um, in some areas and all that, but I think, it, you know, from what I see there, there's, if things hold in there, there could be some additional uh, uptick in, in rig count, but the Permian's going to be where the bulk of it um, yeah. is. This Haynesville stuff is really exciting for us. And so um, we'll just continue to kind of grow organically with this product line, but it, this got changed due to the downturn. But w- So we've got some other tools that we had uh, on the schedule as far as rolling out. Mm-hmm. Um, some different technology that we think is going to be uh, pretty good than just kind of, Hey, here's our one tool that we offer. Yeah. That got delayed obviously because mm-hmm. any capital that we had, you know, back in, in, um, in March of uh, last year was sitting there just like, Hey, we may need it just to, to keep the doors open. So yeah. we're trying to kind of rebuild, you know, uh, but we've, we've got, um, you know, some capital allocated towards this new equipment. And so this next product line, I wish I could, uh, <laughs> wish I could bring it up here on the, uh, Hey, when you, when when you guys launch it, you come back on and okay. we'll, we'll talk about it. That'd then. be great. But you know, you talk about like the high heat applications. Um, I mean, you look at what's happening in geothermal. Mm-hmm. You know, geothermal wells need all the same tools that we use That's as drill right. oil wells, and they need yeah. tools that can uh, survive high heat applications. So, you know, I, I think that anyone's listening that has ideas for tools, you know, you guys um, obviously fit in this bucket too. It's like you know, there's also a growing market there too to attack um and they're looking for solutions that they can use to drill in high temperatures so that's right that's exciting stuff to to hear there yeah it is and it, it could be something like you said that you kind of you know i don't think oil and gas is going away you know anytime soon but um you know uh, more green energy or is mm-hmm. stuff starts to transition that way we're, we're trying to look down the road at different areas to pivot to um mm-hmm. on top of what we're doing now and so it's fun you know to think about all that stuff it's also you got to be careful what you pick to to do right because mm-hmm. there isn't just this endless supply of capital <laughs> or we don't you know we don't have a multi-million dollar r&d budget a yeah, year to you go can't, you can't chase every single opportunity yeah right? let's yeah. just see if this will work yeah. uh, so it, it's pretty it's kind of taking the risk all over again you know because whatever capital you deploy for that it needs to work and it needs yeah. to make money. Right. Yeah. So, uh, well, Hey, look, man, I got so much respect for you guys. Um, you know, when you're talking about a physical product like this, especially one that's a downhole tool and a oil and gas setting, I mean, just super capital intensive. I don't think I could grow a business like that or scale a business like that. I mean, it just takes a lot. Um, I mean, a lot of grit well, thanks, to do man. it. Right. So Thank got you. a ton of respect for you guys and what you're doing. 
you know, if someone's listening to this, you know, we've got a ton of engineers that listen to the show. So hopefully uh, someone hears about this and reaches out to you guys. Where can they do it? What's the website? Um, are you on LinkedIn, et cetera? Yeah, I think we, we have a pretty good following. Um, we do some pretty creative um, social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook uh, marketing. So you may see some of our stuff coming across there. But uh, website is www.downholewellsolutions.com. It's got information about the tool and um, uh, myself, uh, Chandler and, and Avi, the, the partners and kind of our backgrounds and kind of who we're about and what we try to uh, produce for the market. Awesome. So we'll include, include some links to that, to the website and to LinkedIn in the show notes. Taylor, thanks for coming on the show, man. And thanks for having me. Good again. to I see really you. Appreciate again, it. Good to see you guys. You going to do an ending or no? Hey, go share this with your friends. <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode. Jake hacks like this isn't our, our first podcast doing this. <laughs> <laughs> like you pretty much closed it out. I don't know. <laughs>